0: For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. When some were speaking about the temple how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts decorated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign about that this is about to take place? He said, Beware that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name and say, I am he. And and the time is near, do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but in the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places famine and plagues, and there will be dreadful portraits and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. And they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by your parents and brothers, by relatives and friends and they will put some of you to death you will be hated by all because of my name but not a hair on your head shall perish by your endurance you will gain your souls the gospel of the lord so the summer of 1939 in Europe, Donald Gray Barnhouse scheduled to preach in Belfast, which is in Northern Ireland. Upon leaving from his vacation with his family on the coast of France, he is warned continuously of war that could break out and attacks that could have spread and shut down all transportation in Europe. These warnings prove true as only just a few short days later, Hitler attacks Poland and ends up shutting down all the traffic in England. Now, as Barnhouse Barnhouse is traveling north, he comes across all sorts of signs of impending war. Churches are packed. Children are piled into trains and going out into the countryside. Soldiers are mobilizing. And many of these cities that he passes by are soon to be destroyed, marking them as the first casualties of this war. He arrives early Sunday morning to this church. When he comes in, the pews are packed full, and the preacher preacher there greets him warmly and praises God for his arrival. Upon taking the pulpit, a person from this pews hands him a note, says, no reply from Hitler. Prime Minister declares war. Bernhaus is preaching that morning on Matthew 24, which is the parallel of the text we just read. During his sermon, he is piling on monstrous grief, giving explicit details of the troubles that lay ahead for the war. He stops midway, and he asks, Are these words... From a madman? Or are they the words of God? Then he shakes his fist at God and cries out, Oh God, unless Jesus Christ is God, these words are the most horrible that can be spoken to man who have hearts to weep and bowels that can be gripped by human suffering. Men are dying and you tell us not to be alarmed. Husbands and wives are holding on for one more moment. And you tell us not to be alarmed. Children are crying in their misery with no beloved face in sight. And you tell us not to be alarmed. How can Jesus Christ say such things? We find ourselves today just a short time away from Passover. Christ has finally come to Jerusalem and this marks his last few days Before the cross. His final teaching points are actually addressed more in the prophecy as we witness today in our text. And as such, he is transitioning from the parables that he's used to separate himself and his disciples from the Pharisees. And this change from the parables to a prophecy is brought on by his disciples' admiration of the temple. They are stuck in awe over such a magnificent construction. And now, instead of ador- joining them in adoration from the temple, Jesus transitions, and he declares that this temple will be destroyed. And Consider this. The disciples marveling over this work. Stones that are 40 feet long and weighing in over a single time, it's an engineering feat, even by today's standards. And yet, Jesus doesn't even pay any attention to it. He doesn't even agree with them. Instead, he says that not one stone will be left upon another. Of course, Jesus is right. In AD 70, the Romans attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, tearing down all of these stones. This is a catastrophe of divine judgment. God is punishing his people for rejecting Christ. And this destruction of the temple is a sign now that salvation is found only in Christ. The old Jewish traditions of animal sacrifices have come to an end. The only worthy sacrifice now is Christ. And upon hearing this That Jesus says these stones will be thrown down, his disciples respond with the answer, with the question that of when? When, Lord, will these events take place? They want to see a sign, a warning before the day of the temple's destruction. But isn't this our reaction as well? When we hear of catastrophe pending. We read these signs in the Bible of the great and terrible day of the Lord. We know that Christ is coming again. And yet, we are always asking when. Trying to put a buffer between what we have now in life and the second coming of Christ. Jesus, knowing that these questions often lead people to an unhealthy obsession with the end of times, He clarifies His message for us. And through this clarification, we see two distinct time periods unfolding. One, we see the destruction of the temple. And on two, we see the end of times, the actual second coming of Christ. On one hand, we have the prophecy of the temple, which many will take as Christ coming back again. That this is just one step, one checkbox that must be made before Jesus can make his return. And yet Jesus says that many will come in His place, that wars will happen, earthquakes and famine, all of these things must take place. And through this remaining text, we see Jesus breaking down four practical exhortations for us to look at and to be comforted by. Our first in verse eight, Jesus says, "Not to be led astray." Our second coming in verse 9, to not be afraid. Our third in verse 13 says, never miss an opportunity to witness. And our final, verses 13 through 19, Jesus says, not to give up hope in him. So our first call of action is to not be led astray. Jesus says, To be aware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he. Jesus knew that discussing the end of times was going to stir up the people. He knows that we will be preyed upon by those who are not in Christ. He knows that people are going to make false assumptions of a specific date and time of when Jesus will make his return. And we see that even now. Websites have popped up, discerning the end of times. There's Facebook pages and social media, movies, books. They're all written to try to nail down when the actual time that Christ will come back. There's even websites that have a rapture index. That is, events unfold around the world, this clock ticks closer to midnight when they think Christ is going to return. Others have come in his name saying that they are the Messiah. They have come saying that they are the new or second coming of Jesus Christ. They lead people astray. And in some cases, even to their death. But Jesus tells us to be aware, to discern these people and not be led astray by their antics. We have to be familiar with what the Bible tells us. We have to understand that those who come are not Christ. He tells us that when He he comes back, He gives us explicit details of those moments. He's not coming back in the flesh that we are. Our next call to action that Jesus gives us is to not be afraid. Quite frankly, if God wanted us to know the exact date and time, He would have told us. And yet, People are still fearful, and because of that, those outside of Christ prey upon that fear. And we see passages used, such as Second Peter chapter three verse seven, that the heavens and earth that are now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Again, in verse ten, we see the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Reading these texts, it's easy to become fearful. People take advantage of that. They examine scripture. They weave together dates and sequences of events just to predict a time that they think when Christ will come back. Isn't it interesting that every time a date is predicted it is always wrong. By now there's been hundreds not thousands of predictions of an exact date and time of when Jesus will return. Well, we're still here so obviously they were wrong. Jesus tells us that nations will rise against nation and great earthquakes will happen. These happen all before the temple is destroyed. Jesus is using these as a moment to clarify distinctions between his two timetables here. That these nations will rise against nation, and these earthquakes must happen. This isn't a prophecy about end times. We have seen war since the beginning of man, essentially since the fall. We've had wars and battles and skirmishes. We've had earthquakes once sin has entered the world. And yet, Jesus says that these things must happen as he's pointing to the destruction of the temple. In AD 63, Pompeii experiences a great earthquake that led to the volcano eruption that destroyed that city and killed everybody. In AD 66, a Jewish insurrection is led against Rome, which coincidentally, four years later, leads to the destruction of the temple. Interestingly enough, these warnings are reflected even in history today. Whenever a war breaks out or a disaster hits, people panic. And they start proclaiming that the end of times is upon us. Jesus says not to be terrified, not to get swallowed up in that. And As I mentioned, if God wanted us to know the time and date when Christ will return, he would have simply told us. But it is not for us to worry about. Our third call to action, as noted in verse 13, is bearing witness upon our persecution. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy to read scripture and not fully understand what it is that we are trying to comprehend. We read that nation will rise against nation and great earthquakes will happen. And we see this evidence if we just turn on the news today. And yet, we are to use these opportunities to continue witnessing. Even today, we live in a nation that is spiritually declining. Our culture is arrogant, hyper-individualized, oversexed and ultra-materialistic. We love ourselves ahead of Jesus, and we seek to satisfy our wants and needs ahead of Christ. Those who stand against this culture Stand in opposition of the world. And because of this, Jesus tells us that we will be hated. We will face persecution. We will be turned over to authorities, and in some cases, it will be by those who are closest to us. We see examples of this by the disciples and how they were treated. Stephen was the first martyr, proclaiming Christ as they stoned him. His final words were, Lord, don't blame them for what they have done. We see this as Paul is persecuted more and more. His proclamations of the gospel become more bold. We shouldn't fear these things. As these persecutions have been happening since Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, Christ tells us this is the walk of a Christian. This is what we can encounter. But let us understand, this isn't the fate of every Christian. Not all of us will experience persecution or suffering. But in these moments, we are to cling to Christ. And in these moments we do face persecution, we should remember the promise that Jesus gave us, that he will not abandon us. He tells us to make up our minds and not to prepare our defense in advance, for I will give you the words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. When we face this persecution, cling to that. When we face this suffering in this world, we are to remember the words of Jesus, that he will provide our witness to others. And we may suffer, in this world, but it's only a momentary issue. When we are crushed by the weight of this world, be reminded of God's glory and His promise. Remember the empty grave and don't buy into the false reality of the visible. Revile, reveal in His resurrection. Relish in it. And while we face these troubles, let us worship our Almighty King. Our final call to action is to never lose hope. Even if we face this persecution, we are to never stop from witnessing to others. In verse 16, Jesus says that some of us may, in fact, die for the gospel. But, in verse 18 and 19, he says that not one hair will perish. The first death that Christ is referencing is the physical death. And the second, he is telling us is the spiritual death. We will not perish. We will have our eternal life. Not losing hope, we can secure that in Christ alone for those who abide in Him. Christ has gone ahead of us. Our place in heaven is secured. Those who are truly His sheep shall never be abandoned. Now remember that story from the beginning. The pastor, Barnhouse, how could Christ say such things to us? Let's finish the story. Barnhouse give us, gives us the answer in his very next line. He says, "Because Jesus Christ is God, His Word is history. He is the God of every detail, every circumstance. Nothing happens without God knowing it. And while sin has been reduced, has reduced man to passion and fury." tearing at each other's throats, we see Christ standing in the midst of history. Everyone who believes in him and believes in the power of the resurrection knows that we shall not be alarmed. We have this hope in Jesus. And through the most difficult times and trials, we can rest in this hope. We often encounter those who want to stir up worry and fear in people They do this for many reasons, either to make money, to become famous, to gather a following. They scour the Bible for signs and symbols to create a false narrative of the end times. In today's text, Jesus gives us the perfect clarification of what these times mean. He isn't speaking about the end of the world, but that judgment coming against the Jewish people. We see Jesus giving us these calls of action. All of them are important, yet The most important is not to lose hope. Cling to Jesus and remember the promise that our sins are forgiven and you will not perish. Amen.